0: Do you feel alone? Having complex post-traumatic stress disorder can feel isolating, but to me, being the only person who has seen the abuse around me can feel even more isolating. For us survivors, we often struggle with feeling like we are the only person going through this and like no one else could ever ever understand what it is like to live with complex PTSD. The truth is, there are more people out there with CPTSD than you might realize. At least, that's how I have felt as I started exposing myself to content. I started to realize that I was not alone and today I want to officially kick off Hello Trauma Brains interview format. I will be talking to Benjamin Allen, a fellow survivor and podcaster who has complex PTSD. In part one this week, Ben and I chat about his experience podcasting about having complex PTSD, going no contact with abusers, resuming contact with the abusers, how complex PTSD can impact relationships, and more. Hi, I am Raisa, a survivor of narcissistic abuse, and I have complex post-traumatic stress disorder, and you are listening to Hello Trauma Brain, a podcast where I share my experiences living with complex PTSD. My hope is this podcast can help destigmatize mental health and provide support to anyone diagnosed with CPTSD who thinks they might have it or has a loved one with this diagnosis. Quick reminder, I am not a licensed psychologist or mental health care professional, and this podcast is not meant to replace nor substitute the care of psychologists, other mental or medical health care professionals. If you think you might have complex PTSD or PTSD, please reach out to your primary care or mental health care provider. Any individuals and resources mentioned in this episode are not sponsoring Hello Trauma Brain. The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed by this week's guest are solely their own and do not represent the views, thoughts, and opinions of Hello Trauma Brain and the host. This episode may reference trauma or abuse and listener discretion is advised. Remember, you can always pause or skip this episode at any time. And now, let's get back to the episode. Hello, dear survivors, and welcome to this episode of Hello, Trauma Brain. Thank you for joining me today. If you are listening on YouTube, a gentle reminder to hit the like button to let me know this episode was helpful. Quick check-in. It has been a really difficult week and I have been coping with a recent communication with an abuser and in addition, I had an enabler shame me this week for the boundaries and decisions that I have made so far. It has been an unsettling week And I am hoping this upcoming week is as boring as it comes. Quite frankly, if I have no check in this week because nothing happened, (laughs) I will be happy. (laughs) I will say, though, and and this is part of the realm of living with with this disorder um, and just living as a human being, quite frankly. Not everything this week was, was horrible. I did have some, some significant wins too and some moments where I, I felt so <laughs> joyful and seen and heard and validated and supported. And it's just, <laughs> it's quite baffling how I can go from having a really horrible day to maybe like two days later feeling so ecstatic about something to then taking another dip and, and so on and so forth. But about the podcast, I actually had been hesitant to do interviews. And it had a lot to do with the imposter syndrome that I have going with that, and not feeling like I had the skills to do an interview. And when I decided to launch Hello from a Brain, just having it be a solo podcast format felt more manageable to me. But I did have the intention to at some point do interviews. And it was one of those things where I thought it would happen like way later in the game when I had more equipment, when I had more followers, when I had this, when I had that. You know the drill. However, recently I was approached by Benjamin Allen, who's our guest this week. And he's a fellow podcaster. And he reached out about having him on the pod to do an interview. And here we are. So now Hello Trauma Brain will also feature interviews and no worries, we will still have the episodes where I am sharing my experiences and my journey and the interviews are going to be complementing the format where I am sharing my experiences and the intention is to introduce you to other survivors that have complex PTSD, experts in the field and other people that are helping survivors as well so i am pleased to kick off this first interview with benjamin allen and this is part one of a two-part episode i hope you find this conversation helpful all right survivors i am thrilled to welcome today Benjamin Allen. He is a 41-year-old historian and licensed massage therapist who happens to have a part-time podcast about living with complex post-traumatic stress disorder, which he likes to think of as his diary that you get to eavesdrop on. His podcast is called the complex PTSD guy. He was diagnosed with complex PTSD in 2017 and started podcasting about living with CPTSD in January of 2020. Thank you, Benjamin, for being here and joining me for this conversation today. How are you doing?
1: Yeah, thank you so much, Risa. Um, I'm doing really good. I'm having a good morning and I'm excited to answer your questions and have you pick my brain a little bit. This is fun.
0: Sounds good. Thank you again. The first question I have for you, Benjamin, is how did you find yourself podcasting about having complex post-traumatic stress disorder?
1: So that stemmed out of my own diagnosis. So um, in 2017, uh, I was diagnosed with complex PTSD. And I want to make sure I point out, I would have never in a million years thought that I had any form of PTSD. So when I got that diagnosis, it was life-altering for me, Um, and I I noticed over a couple of years' time from 2017, 2018, 2019, I had heard a lot about PTSD over the years, but barely anything about complex PTSD, Um, and I also um, rarely ever hear anybody talk about trauma from your upbringing or your childhood, your childhood years, your teenage years, that type of complex long-term trauma um, which is what complex ptsd is long-term trauma i rarely ever heard anybody discuss that usually when i hear people talk about ptsd in any form it's related to military service or it's related to a major attack so like if someone's assaulted um, things like that but i rarely ever heard anything about um, long-term trauma so that's where a lot of it came from and i i should point out When I was first diagnosed, um, I thought that I was only diagnosed with PTSD. And it was actually a military veteran who said to me, you have complex PTSD, when I described my type of trauma. And I emailed, actually phoned my therapist, and I said, the woman who diagnosed me, and I said, is that correct? Do I have complex PTSD? And she's like, yes, that's right. And I I just probably misunderstood her when she first diagnosed me, probably because I was so shocked by it. I just, I thought, you know, the shock that I had PTSD. Um, so I overlooked that word complex at first. Um, but again, my podcasting came out of, I would say, the lack of people talking about long term trauma from upbringing. So.
0: Thank you for for sharing that, Benjamin. And I, I can only imagine how hard it must have been not to have the language of complex PTSD until only a few years ago. And when I hear you talking about your experience, you know, I, I have to say, like, I've been doing therapy for uh, I started in 2016. And I've seen quite a quite a bit of them. And None of them said complex PTSD. And one of them said only like secondary PTSD at one point. Like I didn't have the language either. Just a little side note. I do want to clarify that I was referring in that section to the therapists that I had in the past. My current one does know about complex PTSD and it's the one who diagnosed me with the disorder. Just wanted to make that clear. And now let's get back to the interview. I think, I think the feel like they're still catching up to understanding what complex PTSD is. And, and I agree with you. There's not a lot of voices out there that are describing what this feels like and how, how it really works in terms of how long-term it is. It's not just like six months. We're talking years and years. And it's, it's, For me, it was a game changer to have the actual diagnosis and it helped put names to a lot of the stuff that I just didn't know were even involved in the trauma. Um, How how has it been for you to have the diagnosis now and have the language?
1: It's it's huge. So for years and years, I only dealt with the symptoms. So because the symptoms were all I was ever told about or maybe was addressing. So depression for example. That was one of the big ones. Um, Mm -hmm. And it was always just like, you know, another depressing day or another clinical depressive moment here um, here or there. But to know, it's almost like you're validating it in a big way. So when you get that diagnosis, it's like, you know, this didn't just drop out of the air. This didn't fall out of the sky or come out of the blue. There's a reason I was diagnosed with complex PTSD. So it validates the trauma. Um, a lot of mine was emotional, but I also had physical for several years. Mm -hmm. Um, but I would say most of mine was mental, emotional, the older I got when I was younger, it was a lot more physical stuff that went on for years. Um, but once you get that validation, yes, these people hurt you. Yes. These people neglected and abused you. This was not normal. Um, You know, once you get that validation, it's like, wow, I mean, it really makes you open it up because a lot of people who have complex PTSD, um, they may very well still be very intricately tied to their abusers. And that's a big part of what complex PTSD is. It's that blurred lines. It's the the lines are blurry. So they might still be living with their abuser and it might just be like normal to them. Um, until you get that diagnosis you know.
0: Mm -hmm. Thank thank you for sharing Ben and I want to take a moment to say I'm so sorry that you've experienced both physical and that mental and emotional abuse because it's I'm so sorry that happened to you.
1: Yeah yeah it's um I think it's it's very you know the older you get and the more you recognize your own behavior Mm -hmm. and where it's coming from um I think that getting that diagnosis of complex PTSD, it's just been, it's very helpful, but at the same time, it's very shocking because it's like, wow, things were way worse than I ever even really truly understood until someone points you out how bad it is. Like how, you know, once you see the depth of it and I saw the depth of it when I was 35, it took me that long. You know, once you see that the real root of it, it's Mm -hmm. like, wow. So it's um, yeah. But thank you. Yeah. I mean, it's, it is what it is, but I'm just glad to have that diagnosis. So,
0: yeah, I something that that you said just just now, like that that moment where you realize when you mm-hmm. almost like wake up from having normalized all this, like uh, that's actually how old I am right now. I'm 35, and like I am just figuring that this out between like the ages of 34 and 35, and I feel like there's a lot that I still haven't even realized wasn't normal. So I'm I'm pretty new on the process, but it just I could feel it in my body as you were describing that experience because it's it's so accurate when we're when we're coming to terms with having complex PTSD and we're starting to realize that the abuse is coming from you know people that we're close to. It sometimes it's just it's such a reckoning and it's such a confusing experience to really see things for what they are and it's almost like you like you've been staring at a mirror that's been foggy the entire time. And all of a sudden it starts clearing out and you start seeing what's actually on the reflection. It's, it's a, for me, it's been a very confusing, scary and painful process. And also validating to finally understand that it, it it wasn't just me that there was something wrong with me, but all these things were happening that I didn't even realize around me. And I I want to transition about uh, the, the people that, that caused your complex PTSD because recently in your podcast, you've been sharing uh, the, the experience of uh, being in contact. And I know uh, you've shared in your podcast that you did go no contact with some of the people involved in your trauma for a period of time. Are you able to share your experience going no contact?
1: Yeah, so the the no contact was a... Excuse me. <clears throat> the going no contact was a huge, huge thing for me because, um, and I don't want to do a, a blame game, but um, one thing about me is I tended to be very dependent on the people who created the dysfunction and abuse in my life, and I think this is this happens with a lot of people. The abusers want you to be around, right? They they want you like they feed off you. Um, so it wasn't until when I finally cut ties, um, and I will say, before I say any of this, I ended up talking to them after I cut ties. Um, but the reason I cut ties was something that I've referred to numerous times on my podcast called the event. And the reason I call it the event is I'm not going to name the names of the people who were, um, abused in front of me, um, because that's their own personal stuff, Um, You know, I can't just talk about somebody else's, you know, legal things, I guess you could say. Um, But what happened basically and why I went no contact was I had a blindfold removed and that's a metaphor. Um, So it was almost as if I'd been wearing a blindfold the first 35 years of my life to how bad things were. And I had that blindfold removed the day somebody who was very close to me was physically assaulted and put into the emergency room um, because they because, because they got beat up, basically. Um, and what made me go no contact was my abuser's response to what happened to this person. So the, and I realized it was systemic. This wasn't just one person reacting this way. It wasn't just the enabler of the abuser reacting this way towards this person that was assaulted it was a systemic type thing uh, meaning there were more more players involved than i even realized and what happened was they they encouraged this person who was assaulted like physically assaulted beaten up they encouraged this person to stay with the abuser and I was like, whoa, what are you talking about? Like, it, it just, it woke me up to where it was almost as if an invisible person was shaking me saying, wake up. This is the root of it. This is how bad it is. They are encouraging this person to stay with someone who put them in the ER. And the excuse they use was the person that assaulted them was drinking. So if they weren't drinking, then they wouldn't have done it. Um, and I was like, no, 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 this is, they would have done it. I was like, this, this person was totally out of control over jealousy. Um, and so that's where I, I went no contact. And then your viewers might wonder, well, why would you talk to these people again? One, the person that was assaulted ended up leaving that person. And thank goodness, um, they're not with them anymore. Um, so, and they still talked to The people that abused me. And it was just a whole dynamic of there were people I was shutting out Mm -hmm. who had nothing to do with my abuse, who were intricately tied to my abusers. Mm -hmm. And one of them passed away. And I wasn't going to miss her funeral. Mm -hmm. It was an older person. I wasn't going to miss her funeral because I'm not talking to the people who abused me. It just would have been, I just couldn't do that. Mm -hmm. That was really what cracked it was i wasn't going to miss this person's funeral so i went and that was the first time i had seen this i've any of them was somebody's funeral who i I just couldn't not go to her funeral because it was someone who took part in raising me but she never abused me um Mm -hmm. so i i was like i I have to go you know so i Mm -hmm. that's what did it and i think that's probably what does it for a lot of people is a medical emergency, a death, a wedding. That's a lot of time, you know, a baby's born. That's a lot of times where you end up getting put back into the situation where you see your abuser again. I think Mm -hmm. that's pretty typical because those are things that a lot of people just know what the word is, but like, I just had to go. So (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh,
0: thank you. uh, Thank you, Benjamin. And I want to take a moment to just like want to validate how horrific uh, what happened during the event how horrific that was and how unsettling it must have been like to see the people around you encouraging this person to go back to the abuser it almost feels like you're like the only person who can see what's happening and I, I find that for me has been like that and I like from talking to other survivors like it tends to be such an isolating experience because the whole system is trying to keep the status quo. And then there's usually like the one person that's seeing what's really happening. And I just want to take a moment to just say that that must have been horrific to experience. And I'm relieved that that person is no longer with the abuser. And you had it right. You really did. Like that's that's how insidious this stuff is. And another thing that I want to highlight from what you just said is just like the, our, the PTSD form that we have is like the complex, the same applies to dynamics with these people. It's so complicated. Like it's not just, and I feel like this is one of the things that people don't understand about the concept of being no contact. Like it's really not that easy or black and white. Oh, I just cut them off and I go off into the sunset and that's it. Like there are other people involved and there's times where you do want to go to the funeral or you want to support a loved one when they're getting married and you want to be there for them. And other people are also attending and it's, it's a complicated decision to make. And I want to say to you, like, you know, there's no judgment here. Like it's, it's such a personal choice. And it's, it sometimes it feels like an impossible decision when we're making, when we're making the call of, do I go, do I not go, do I call? Do I not call? And it's, again, I just, how, how complicated it is and, and how, how you're navigating this is just, thank you for sharing that experience with us. And I do want to transition so I, I, you already mentioned that you, you have contacted them in some way. And I, if I am understanding correctly, you're in some sort of contact now. And recently um you even uh did an event Uh, where some people were there, can you walk me, you know, through the process of preparing for that interaction and the process of resuming contact with some of the abusers?
1: Yeah. And I'm so glad that I went to, so it was Thanksgiving is what it was. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm just so glad that I went. And um, the reason why I'm glad is the, the result of it was, so much better than I thought it was going to be. So it's, there's a lot of things that played into this. Um, so there's one person who was at the, what I refer to again as the event. Um, and there this was the only other person, I would say besides myself that I witnessed mm-hmm. who wanted the victim to get away from the attacker. Um, and so that person I had actually also cut them out because when you go no contact, um, let's just say with people that you grew up around, in my mind you can't pick and choose. That just mm-hmm. won't work. So I had to cut out this person too um, because I wasn't just going to be around that this person who also, like myself, wanted the victim to get away from the attacker. Mm-hmm. Um, I couldn't just be around that person and say, well, none of your, none of these other people can come around when I'm here. I'm not going to dictate how they can live their life, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, so I was just, I just went no contact with them as well. And I think they always wondered like, where did he go? Where did Ben go? Um, like, why doesn't he talk to me? Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and I'm somebody, I don't have a Facebook page. Like I don't, I'm not on there. So that's, one easy way of going no contact is just not having that in general. And I'm not on social media much, but um, I did see this person because we ended up, um, well, we ended up seeing her basically um, around the Thanksgiving holiday. And I thought for certain they were going to want to talk about the event. They were going to want to talk about our loved one being attacked. They were going to want to talk about all of that. So I had like a, my mind ready, you know, to explain to them why I went no contact with them when they did everything right. You know, this person Mm -hmm. who also had the same view as I did, and none of that came up and it was so refreshing. It was like, they've moved on, Mm -hmm. right. You know, they've moved on, they supported the person when they left the attacker um, and everything they moved on and they've always been able to kind of live a functional existence. And it really stood out to me my PTSD is, is lingering. My PTSD is holding me back. Mm -hmm. Um, So I have complex PTSD from my upbringing, but the event um, I still was very much triggered by. So that event was still lingering with me and maybe not with them. So for me, that's all I could think about. And that's how PTSD is too, is it's a lot of times it sucks up all your mental attention. So I was just, Mm -hmm. you know, wondering, you know, what they were going to think. And the reason the complex part plays into this is the person who was attacked by the attacker, um, they were someone who also experienced the same exact type of, I shouldn't say same exact, but 95% exact type of abuse that I did growing up. Mm. So the victim is somebody who I knew from childhood who went through a lot of the same things. So everything was tied to them. And when they stayed with their abuser for a time, it's just say a year, I don't know how long it was, um, a year or two, um, mm-hmm. that was like, wow, because um, you know I never would have ever guessed that they'd do that because they were always somebody who used to say to me, they always used to remind me of how crazy things were growing up. So to see them stay with an, someone who physically abused them was shocking to say the least. Um, and so whenever we got together around this holiday, um, again, I would say they've moved forward in their life. And again, for me, the lingering is still going on there. The I would say the PTSD stress, that uh, wall, I don't know what you want to call it, but I just use the word linger. Mm-hmm. It, it just hangs around and it distracts you. It's distracting is the word. Mm-hmm. PTSD is distracting. Um, it sucks up your all the attention. Um, so yeah, I, I was pleasantly surprised. Um, I had an accident in October that I'll bring up really quick. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I thought that they were also going to be talking about this accident I had. I had a car accident um, and I thought for sure they were going to be um, talking about that and it was related to um, substance abuse. And mm-hmm. so I thought that they were going to bring that up bring up substance abuse, because it was the first time I'd ever been open to them that I had an issue with certain things. And none of that was brought up. I think they wanted it to be a a vacation for me because I I went out of state for the holiday. Um, I think they wanted me to take a break. I think they knew that I was stressed out. Um, so they didn't bring up any of that. I think that they were just going to let me bring it up if I wanted to, Mm -hmm. you know, they probably already had that conversation. He needs, he needs a break. He needs to get away. Um, Mm -hmm. I think they could just tell I was stressed out. So, Mm -hmm. um, so it was pleasant. I was pleasantly surprised with a lot of things, but, um, related to the accident, I will say, and this is very important. Mm -hmm. And I think your listeners will relate to this. Um, In regards to the accident that happened, it was almost like a life-threatening accident for myself. Um, And I am currently in contact with the primary person who abused me growing up, because again, complex PTSD is complex, Um, Mm -hmm. and they haven't reached out a single time to see if I was okay. So that really um, sunk in with me. This person doesn't care about me. And when you're living with complex PTSD, I think that's really important to notice the things that people aren't doing. Mm. Um, So if you come from an abusive home, and let's say, you know, let's say you graduate with honors or something, and they don't throw you a party, they don't say congratulations, you know, there's nothing that comes your way, or let's say you almost die in an accident. Um, Mm. You know, it's like, or you have a house fire or something and they don't call to see how you are. Um, And, you know, they might even, you know, I don't know. They just don't, they don't check on you. Mm. They don't care about you. Like, unless like a lot of ways, you're a tool for them to use. And Mm. if there's no way that they can use the situation, they're not going to reach out to you. But it really sunk in with me where I was like, they don't, they don't care about me. Like, this is very apparent. Um, Mm. You know, it's, it just really, it, it woke me up for the second time. So you could say I had my blindfold removed again, because mm-hmm. if you go no contact and then you talk to them again, and then you have your blindfold removed again, I'm not going to go no contact again, um, but I'm just going to keep them at much of a distance as humanly possible. Um, mm-hmm. Whereas mm-hmm. before, once I went back in contact with them, I would say I made several I made several excuses to do that. Like one, I know the, the history of the abuser. I know that they were abused growing up. Two, I know, and they were abused in more than one way. And then two, I was very worried about them when the pandemic hit. So that was when I initially reached out to to the main person. Um, I was just worried about them. But it's weird because it's almost like a Stockholm syndrome. Like you're, you know, like you start to think like, oh, you know, look at them, like they need love or, you know, it's almost, it's almost like you're dating an abuser. Like Mm -hmm. when you start, when you start talking to your abuser again, it's like people who go back to their physically abusive spouse and everyone's like, why do they go back to him? Why do they stay with him? And, you know, it's, it's almost like that, I guess.
0: Uh, That, that makes so much sense, Ben. And I, gosh, you said so many things just in this in this part that I I want to go back to. And I want to start off with, you know, just taking a moment to say, I'm so sorry that you went through that horrible accident last month and'm I'm, I'm glad that you're okay and that you're able to do this today and that you're safe now. But um, one thing that as you were talking, it just I felt it in my body was how painful it must have been, you know, to realize that this person, did not reach out to you and how you realize, gosh, I don't care and how painful that is. And I, as I was listening to that, I thought, damn, like I, I do remember you have, and I'll disclose this uh, to the listeners. Now I'm actually a listener of, of Ben's podcast. And I, I remember when you shared in your episodes, you know, that you had the accident and, and all the stuff that, that you were going through during that time. And I remember sending you a voice message and for for lack of a better word i'm a complete stranger here and i just want to take a moment like like expecting or like thinking that someone that cares about you would reach out like that's a that's a normal expectation like that's a that's usually what should be happening and i'm so sorry that didn't happen for you with this person and how painful that must have been and along the lines of that, like one thing that I, and I did an episode on this called the great awakening. Like that's, that's the name I give to those moments when you realize, Oh, it is that bad or, Oh, wow. They really just, it's just not there. And it's, I feel like for us, as we're untangling what happened to us, like there's many moments of, of that blindfold coming off that great awakening where we're just like realizing this for the first time. And sometimes for me, like personally, I kind of forget. I don't know if this happens to you, but I'll realize something. And then like five months later, I'm realizing it again. It's the same thing, but it feels like it's the first time again. It's, I don't know. It's, it's such a weird experience. Do you experience that at all?
1: oh yeah yeah the um i would say um because it's not just so in the way that i grew up and again i don't name who my abusers are or the people around them but um but the um i notice it a lot with the enabler so the Mm -hmm. person who so again with complex ptsd if you have it from childhood into your teen years or even just childhood or just teen years there's usually an enabler who is a lot of times a victim of the abuser. And, you know, again, I I mentioned kind of like a Stockholm syndrome thing or like a, you know, why do they stay with them? Um, The enabler um, a lot of times has extreme denial, extreme, like so, so, so deep that they're willing to stay with someone when they're hurting, like, let's just throw an example out like kids you know like I always think of the movie burning bed with Farrah Fawcett in it mm. um because his mom so Farrah's being abused by her husband he's abusing the kids too and his mom is enabling him his mom it's a very well played role um but the mom is almost like wondering it, it's almost like a mindset of why is Farrah Fawcett being a crybaby um and she's almost like enabling her son to be this horrible person who can get away with murder. Um, and it's, it's a, I mean, that's like a, an extreme, like domestic abuse thing on that movie. Um, but yeah, I have aha moments a lot with, um, with both. So with the primary abuser and with the enabler, and I will say my dynamics are possibly a bit different. Um, because I do believe that there's also aspects of Munchausen, and that's my own diagnosis. I could be wrong there, but mm-hmm. um, for years I used to think that my abuser was a hypochondriac, but I truly believe it's Munchausen. So, and Munchausen is a whole—that's a, a real thing. So, like, if you if you wanna, if your listeners are listening, you know, to this, and they want, they're trying to put into words. How can you explain a true abuser? I would say, look at Munchausen because someone with Munchausen is willing to hurt themselves to make sure you think that they are sick. And Munchausen by proxy is when it's their kid, they're using their kid to do that. But mm. a person with Munchausen, like they'll scar their arms up to make it look like they have a disease, or they'll, you know, they'll make their teeth fall out to make it look like they're sick, like they'll poison themselves. I mean, it's, that's what I'm talking about in regards to like narcissistic abuse. They'll do anything to get their way. Um, Mm -hmm. and so that's the depth of it, you know? And Mm -hmm. so whenever I recently had the aha moment, like a month or so ago from my car accident, um, I was like, okay, you know, they don't, they don't care. And it's a really weird feeling because, you know, if I were to say to somebody, Oh, I had this accident. And then like one of my friends were to say, Oh, what'd your, what your, what have your parents said about it or something? Or, mm-hmm. you know, what have your loved ones said about it or mm-hmm. what have your cousins said about it or mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. You know, mm-hmm. they might call, you'd say, Oh, well, I talked to them and this and that, but if it's your primary abuser mm-hmm. and they really don't care about you and then you say, Oh, well, I haven't heard anything from this person um, that your friend might be like, really? And mm-hmm. you'd be like, but you just went to their birthday party or that you just, you just spent the holidays with them or you just this or that. Mm-hmm. And usually it almost, it usually takes somebody to point it out to you. Mm-hmm. Like, well, why wouldn't they call you? Um, you know, cause a lot of times if you're, if it's not happening, you're not noticing that it's not happening. Right. Like if you grew up with it, it's normal to you for them to neglect you. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's almost like until somebody points it out, it's like, oh, yeah, why haven't they called? And then your friend might say, well, didn't you think about that? And you might be like, no. And it would be because you're not used to it. You'd be like, right. well, well, why would they call? You know, like, what are they supposed to do? You know, if you're not mm-hmm. seeing it happening, you know?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that makes so much sense. And I, I feel like that... It, that happens to me too like i i'm you normalize and I, that, I think that's the term like you normalize the the dynamics that are happening around you to the point where you know just like it, it sometimes it shocks me too when i hear somebody else have a different reaction because to me it's like well that's another tuesday <laughs> for me but mm-hmm. but somebody else going like uh, no, that's 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 a big deal. And I feel like having those reactions. And that's why for me, like having like I've, I've been to support groups and I am exposing uh, myself to content, like even listening to your podcast was part of that. A lot of me listening to your podcast led to me having all these moments of realizing, oh, shit, I didn't realize that was part of it. Because to me, again, it's normal. And then when I hear you talking about it on your podcast, or I hear someone in a support group say something, and they're like, yeah, this is so toxic. I'm like, that is and it, it it's just it, it really blows my mind and and I and I think I, I don't think I can tell you you're not at least <laughs> alone in this in this sense because I experience that all the time and I I do want to circle back to something that you said earlier which is about you know the I'm going to call it the stigma that applies when when the abusers are in, in a let's just say in a family dynamic because you were describing how like if you were quote unquote, dating someone toxic like that, it might be more likely that we would hear people say like, well, you shouldn't be with this person. But I feel like there are certain dynamics where that stigma is there. And, you know, it, I, I, I do the same thing. I don't disclose who my abuser is, but I'm just thinking about someone whose abuser is in their family. And, you know, usually the narrative there would be, but oh, they're your family. And how, how can you set boundaries with them? Or how can you do A, B, and C? Or, well, you know, th- but but they're still related to you. And it's it's a really hard thing to navigate for a lot of survivors, because, yes, the abusers, you know, might be family. Yes, the abusers might have a bad, you know, bad history. Or, yes, the abuser might be a mentor or someone who's been in their life for a long time. But that still doesn't excuse the abuse. And when you really look at it, like and one way I go about it is I remove the title of the person and I replace it with the word abuser. Like if you say like spouse or friend or boss or, or whatever, you take that title away and you say abuser and you take whatever you're hearing from the other person and you put it in that context. It, it helps me like land like land quicker in terms of, oh, wait a second, something is off here. And it's something that I've heard survivors use as well. But it's, it's, it's just such a complicated dynamic because it, with complex PTSD, like I find myself vacillating between i still feel love for the for some of these people and i still care about them and i don't want any harm to come upon them and i'm also coming to terms with all the abuse they have imposed on me that i need to work through to be able to heal and 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 improve my quality of life because my complex ptsd i mean it it really it really gets in the way of my everyday life it's just there's no break from this at least that's how i feel about it and and again, I I I want to thank you for sharing, sharing your experience. Like I, I it's so relatable. And I think it's so important when we are exposing ourselves to the listening to the experiences of other people so we can start learning what actually is healthy, what's not healthy, and and figure out, you know, how, how to relate to other people too. So I feel like that's another way where my CPTSD gets in the way of my life, how I relate to other people. And um I I feel like in your podcast, you've talked uh, quite a bit about that as well. Uh, Did you you wanted to add anything in terms of like, how the complex PTSD impacts your uh, relationships and how you relate to others?
1: Yeah, so the one of the biggest symptoms of complex PTSD, if you look up, you know, complex PTSD online is interpersonal skills, struggling with interpersonal Mm -hmm. skills. And I would have to say outside of depression um, struggling with interpersonal skills has been my biggest thing for sure. Um, And a lot of it I think is um, so like, let's just say trying to date somebody, for example, Um, there are certain things that will pop up or maybe it's things that I'm not doing Mm -hmm. that somebody that I'm trying to date it'll be a really big issue for them. And when you come from a dysfunctional home or an abusive home, like I said, it's that lack of something. There's something lacking there to where it's like um, they, the person that you're dating notices it like immediately. I I shouldn't say immediately, but maybe after a month or so, Mm -hmm. Um, or even within a few weeks, they notice almost like, why are you acting like this? Is kind of what their res- response will be. And you really don't know why you're acting the way you are. And you don't know that there's something off with the way that you're acting. Um, you just know that you don't have an answer for them. Um, and I think that's a big part of it. If friendships too. So like um, I have been really lucky to have very good friendships and I tend to gravitate to people who are people who are um an open book mm-hmm. and they call people out I, should, I don't even know if calling people out out's the right word but they're not afraid to say what's on their mind is the type of people that I tend to be drawn to mm-hmm. so the people who are an open book are people who I tend to make friendships with mm-hmm. having said that though um And again, I won't say over my years, you know, which friends these have been or if I'm still friends with them or not. Mm -hmm. But I will say that I also tend to befriend people who come from abuse and neither of us know it. Mm -hmm. Um, So and the reason I say that is because one, there was a friend I had in high school and this person absolutely came from abuse and it was well known. And I knew every detail um, and it was like predator abuse is what it was, um, from like a babysitter. and oh, so God. it was it was an open book, um, like everybody knew about it. but, um, we bonded over basically dysfunction, like looking back at it. We bonded over dysfunctional homes, home life. um mm-hmm. but as an adult, um, I will say I've been friends with certain people, and I won't say, where I was living or anything or who, you know, any anything about that. But I did come to the conclusion that a couple of them are in, uh, I'm trying to think of the words, relationships that have um, edgy boundaries, maybe is the word, where some people have thought that the person I was friends with was in I had like an emotionally abusive relationship and I just didn't, I didn't see it really. Mm -hmm. I just thought, well, they're just arguing, Um, Mm -hmm. you know, in in my book, because, you know, again, maybe it's, it's normal to me Mm -hmm. um, to where, you know, it can create a lot of blurred lines. Um, That's the term I always use because interpersonal skills, um, you know, I still struggle with it. I still, um, you know, er if I try to date a lot of times that falls flat. And again, this is might be something your listeners relate to. Mm -hmm. And so what I end up doing and I've done this in my Mm -hmm. adult life and I'll be very candid here. um, I, I tend to seek out people who are completely unavailable, like Mm -hmm. after a certain point, like I would say, once I hit like 37, 38, um, I'm 41 now. Um, Once I hit 37, 38 and things still weren't working, um, mm-hmm. I started to just seek out people who were completely unavailable and I knew that I would never have to think about dating them. Um, mm. Like I knew it would never go anywhere and they were fine with that too. And a lot of times it just doesn't work because then you find another person that you can do that with. If that person's not available when you want them. And then that just creates a lot of discord and they're not being open with you about their own personal life you know, like maybe they're actually with someone and they're just not telling you because you guys aren't dating anyway. Um, mm-hmm. So it can just create a lot of problems when it seems so easy. Um, so yeah, the, uh, I think, you know, that struggling with interpersonal skills, uh, it's just very disorienting. Um, so
0: yeah, that thank you. Thank you for sharing that Ben and for being so vulnerable because I feel like uh, it, when we get into these topics it's it's quite <laughs> it's quite the intimate conversation and I I have to say uh, as I heard you talking like I was just like yep I, it just makes so much sense and I I've seen the struggle in my own life with like the dating where like I'm I'm single right now and I just feel like. I feel like for normal people like they're like oh yeah like let's get back on the apps or dating or do the the thing and for people like us like like that's the bear to me like when i think about dating someone that's like the tiger in the woods like it's a huge trigger a lot of my my stuff comes out when when i am in romantic relationships and it makes so much sense when i'm hearing you describe like how it 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 can you see it bleeding through when you're trying to date people and that unavailable thing is like (laughs) my mantra. I feel like people like us, we tend to like, I've I've seen it in so many so many YouTube channels like that, going for the unavailable person. And also for me, like I don't know what unavailable is like I for me unavailable used to just mean like if they were dating someone and there's so many other factors that are involved in what an emotionally unavailable person can be. And I just had no fucking clue. And with your friendships, I I also wanna wanna highlight that and and just just let you know that you're not alone in that struggle too. It's, it's, it's so hard for me. And I think friendships is it sounds like it's it's a space where you, you're able to still create those relationships. And I say that's the same for me. And I don't know why friendships is easier than the romantic relationships, except for like the theory of you do have more intimacy in a romantic relationship and for someone with cptsd like and i'll speak for myself here i don't want to impose how you feel about this but i personally feel like the more intimate the relationship the worse (laughs) the worse my cptsd symptoms will get as as the relationship keeps going and yeah it's just just reflecting on that and and thank you again for for sharing uh sharing that benjamin All right, survivors, how are you feeling after hearing the interview so far? I invite you to take some time to reflect and take in my conversation with Ben up to this point. You are so welcome to join me next week for part two of my interview with Benjamin, where Ben shares the tools he uses to help reduce his CPTSD symptoms and his experience realizing the problematic behavior of abusers and enablers. Ben will also read some of his original poetry, which has helped him heal and process his experiences and more. I will be linking Ben's podcast, The Complex PTSD guide to the show notes. Please stay tuned for this week's healing invitation. In this week's healing invitation, I want to offer you a few things to reflect about. Have you felt alone in your journey so far? If so, I invite you to reflect on this episode. Is there anything that resonated with you? something that you did not realize was a part of having complex PTSD until you heard Ben or I talk about that symptom or experience. How does it feel to hear that you are not alone? I invite you to take steps to begin building a community. It can be a virtual one where you hear from other individuals with similar experiences to yours. P.S. This podcast does count. Perhaps a support group, or looking at the comments in a YouTube channel, doing a Google search and seeing if there is more content about CPTSD from the survivor's perspective. If you are not feeling alone at this time as you know more people or have a community already, then I invite you to reflect on how does it feel to have them in your life. Really think about the impact interacting with someone who has been through something similar or has similar symptoms to yours has on your mental health. Please let me know how this week's healing invitation goes if you choose to accept it. Before we wrap up this episode, all music and production is courtesy of yours truly. Also, I want to share a few ways you can help support this podcast. You can subscribe and leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, or the platform you are using to listen. Share this episode with anyone you can think can benefit from this content. Follow Hello Trauma Brain on Instagram with the handle at Hello Trauma Brain, subscribe, to the Hello Trauma Brain YouTube channel and hit the notification bell to be the first to know when I post a new episode. And you can make a donation by getting me a coffee through the official bio site. No worries, all links will be provided in the show notes. Thank you for joining me and Ben today. I hope you found this episode helpful. I wish you the best as you continue building community and healing. It is time for our farewell affirmations. You are welcome to repeat after me I am enough. I am lovable. And I deserve to heal. I wish you a gentle week and thank you for listening.